Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host. Hi, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. Our podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, a leading ABA provider serving families across the country. I'm your host, Katherine Johnson. Russell Lehman is a motivational speaker and poet, contextualizing autism, mental health, disabilities, and the overall human condition. Russell showed signs of autism as a newborn, but he was not formally diagnosed until the age of 12, after suffering through five weeks in a lockdown psychiatric facility. Russell's work has taken him all over the world, from London to Dubai to Helsinki, spreading hope, awareness, and compassion in a raw and dynamic fashion while also setting his sights on erasing the stigma and stereotypes that come with having a disability. Russell has valuable experience and perspectives with so many important subjects pertaining to autism. So this is the first of a series of conversations we'll have with him. As you'll hear, he's passionate, he's vulnerable, he's really encouraging, but also brutally honest. I hope you enjoy this initial conversation with Russell. Hi, Russell. It's so good to see you. Hi, Catherine. Great to be with you. I'm really grateful to get the opportunity to have a conversation with you today. And to start out, I would love it if you would just give our listeners a little outline of your story, sort of where you are now and the journey that brought you here. Oh, gosh. Yeah, definitely. Um, long, long story short. Uh, let's see. Well, where am I now? I'm a motivational speaker and a spoken word poet. Um, my platform is autism, mental health, and pretty much overall human condition. I've been speaking full-time now for about four years. Uh, altogether, I've been speaking for about five years, and it's really the only job I've ever had. Um, prior to the speaking career, I'm 31 now, by age 25. I was living with my parents on disability, no friends, you know, uh, just very much a social recluse, and that happened I, I was at that spot in my life at 25 because I dropped out of public school in the fifth grade, age 11, um, because I was struggling so much. I was not diagnosed with autism until age 12, and that was after five weeks in a lockdown psychiatric ward. And even after that diagnosis of autism, um, you know, I, I, when I was 11, I was, you know, again, I like to say I was pretty much a stereotypical autistic kid right i had i was a kid with this hood on in the corner of the room crying not making eye contact and so after i got my autism diagnosis it almost made me stick out more because now i wasn't just a weird kid in the corner i was a weird autistic kid in the corner and you know back in 2003 when i was diagnosed there wasn't near the awareness of autism as there is today in the public discourse so it actually kind of made me get more questions as say, people were intrigued. What is autism? What is what is this kid all about? Like, let me ask him more questions. So I actually got bothered more, um, unfortunately, after my diagnosis, which again led me to re uh, become more of a more of a recluse. So, yeah, I guess to sum it up, you know, uh, I've been pretty isolated throughout the majority of my life. Probably half my life I spent inside my parents' house. Uh, and it's only in the past nine months have I actually finally become fully independent. In the past nine months, I've been able to say for the first time since age 11, that I have friends, multiple. 
Um, you know, a lot of amazing, beautiful things have happened in these past nine months, being fully independent that a typical person would, you know, experience in their teens or early 20s. Uh, but I'm making up for it now. It's been an arduous journey, but a beautiful one. Well, that's what I find so fascinating about your story and about your, um, you know, the, the when you give speeches, because in a lot of conversations in the various autism communities, the provider and provider communities, I hear a lot of um, one group of people emphasizing the beauty of neurodiversity and the joy of self-acceptance. And those are often folks who have proficient language skills and have the skills to be independent in the community. And then I also hear another group of folks talking about the struggles and the difficulties of autism. And those are often parents of kids on the spectrum who suffer because they struggle to communicate, they can't access the community on their own, they may have serious sleep issues um, or self-injurious behavior that's difficult to manage. And I think your perspective is one that isn't heard a lot. You're someone for whom autism is an invisible disability. You know, I'm sure when you walk down the street, people think there goes a handsome guy. They don't think there goes an autistic person um, because you don't look like what people think autistic looks like. Uh, and yet you've openly shared the significant struggles that you faced. So why do you think that stories like yours are not the ones that we hear about as often? It's a great question. I think it's, uh, we like to try to make things as simple as possible. And unfortunately that results in a lot of stereotypes and stigmas out there. Um, I have kind of lived both sides of the autism tract, so to speak. You know, I have struggled vehemently and have wished, you know, I never had autism on the flip side. Autism has brought great stuff to my life. So I've been, you know, kind of uh, on both ends of the spectrum when it comes to how autism has impacted my life. And therefore now, even though I'm, you know, functioning higher than ever, uh, you know, I, I still struggle. Uh, but I, I think the reason there's, uh, again, a stereotype, especially in the media, is autism. I, I think, you know, I, that, that's a hell of a good question. And I think I'm going to have to think about that. I think I think people want to make sense out of something that's extremely complex. I don't, I don't believe society will ever fully understand autism. I'm not even going to understand my own autism. Autism is an extremely complex disorder. And unfortunately, you know, going with the initial stigma of Rain Man to this day, when you see it portrayed in the media, the, the, the individuals kind of look dorky, you know, and that's unfortunate because I like to say autism, you know, you hold up a mirror to anybody that's what autism looks like, right? And we're finding that out more and more um, in real day-to-day -day life. But in the media, it's, you know, media is 10 years behind real life. So we have a lot, long way to go. Um, not that, again, anyone's ever going to be able to tell that I have autism just by looking at me. But hopefully one day they won't be as shocked to know that I have autism or ask me or say to me, oh, well, then you must be doing good. Or, oh, you must have overcome it then. Like, no, like autism is is me and it always will be me and it can be you too. It doesn't have a face. I kind of like to talk about masking because mm -hmm. that seems to be a really common theme, particularly with autistic people who can sort of pass, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. in neurotypical society. And it can be so 
incredibly detrimental to mental health. Mm. Um, and I'm wondering what your personal relationship to masking has been. Do you catch yourself masking and what kind of an effect has it had on you over time? Yeah, I mean, uh, so the last nine months being fully independent, once I moved to Los Angeles, um, I didn't know to the extent to which I was even capable of masking, you know, being fully independent and not having like a safe place such as my that used to be my mom for the last 30 years um, has really shown to me how much pressure there is to unconsciously fit in in this world. And so my first probably six months in L.A., I was masking a lot and I every day I would have this inner conflict as to should I bring up what I'm struggling with, with A, B or C, whoever I'm interacting with, or should I not? And the reason I struggled with that so much is because for me, I, there are days where I can struggle every single second. So I have to walk this fine line between advocating for my needs and also not, you know, talking about everything I struggle with every single second. Uh, a, I don't want to talk about you know, my struggles every single second. And the fact that I've had to kind of get by on my own throughout the majority of my life, ten, I've tended to not really express myself when it could be beneficial to me. So masking is very complex. I mean, there's the masking of, there's conscious masking, right? There's how you were conditioned in society, the way you can mask that in that regard. But a lot of masking is unconscious. And I think the more aware we can be of how we operate and how we might not operate, and maybe accredit that to certain things such as autism or OCD, we can be a little bit better at advocating or at least being our true selves. But still, there's days where I will purposely mask because I know, you know, it's, it's A, I'm already tired. I don't want to have to explain something because even though I know I, if I say I have autism and I struggle with this, I'm still going to have to explain why I struggle with it. It's not enough, unfortunately, for me to just tell people I'm struggling. So it, it's, you know, pragmatically, you know, if I had to choose to mask forever or not mask forever, I'd probably mask forever. I mean, it's just not a, a way to live life to always have to explain yourself and have to, you know, just struggle. And again, explain why, you know, I had a meltdown the other day in an airport and I was totally unmasked and they still didn't get it. So like, why do I unmask if they, it makes them more confused, you know? So sometimes it's easier just to mask and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it can be disheartening at times to have to kind of fake it just so other people can accept you. But at the same time, you know, I'm pragmatic. I'm not going to burn myself out trying to, you know, get everybody to understand me. Where is it that you can be completely yourself and not even think about having to mask? You have people in your life now that you can be that way with? I, uh, not my whole, not my whole self with, I don't, um, and that's a great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question, but there are, there are people who I can be 90% Russell with, but there's, I would say, you know, when I'm like my pure essence, it's either when I'm on a stage um, or by myself, but unless I'm speaking on a stage, like that is pure Russell on there. Um, but I, I can't do that in my personal life. I can do that in my professional life, but personally it's too vulnerable for me to be that pure self. Um, so it's, it's me by myself. And that's why I love my kind of being by myself. You know, I was conditioned again as a recluse and I've come to really enjoy my time with myself because I, I can be myself. I can be my best friend. So it's, it's tough because there are times where like right now I'm trying to figure out first time since age 11, I've had 
friends with a S at the end. And now I'm trying to figure out, you know, are they the, the right friends for me, so to speak? Because can I be my true self with them? And that's something that's been difficult too, is I, I'm very idealistic in the way I think. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big, you know, kind of hopeless romantic, if you would, of what the world is possible of. And I would like to think that my friends, I can be 100% Russell 100% of the time. But then I get, again, I get that that's not realistic. So again, it's a delicate dance to try to figure out, A, can I be myself around these people? But also, B, do I even want to? Because being myself is, I, I feel something very special. And it's almost a gift I give people to really let them in, in totality into my world. So it's, uh, there's a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of calculating that goes on between behind when I take my mask off, uh, when I have no mask on at all, when I have to wear three masks at once. I'm always kind of calculating, almost like the Terminator. You remember the Terminator movies when they're looking at something and it's like calculating everything. That's almost like me. It's yeah. like every situation I put in, depending on the variables, I'm going to have to calculate if uh, how many masks to wear or if I can take them all off at once. So exhausting, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I joke that, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll die sometime soon. Cause like, I did like 50 more years of this life. It's like exhausting. Like, um, but it's worth it. You know, it's an exhausting life. I'm not going to lie. It's, I wouldn't wish my life on anybody. I honestly wouldn't, um, unless they're prepared for it. Right. But it's, it's very exhausting. And if it's one thing that I could alleviate, it, it would be that it would be the constant, you know, just, I'm almost always in a state of uh, subtle fight or flight and just to always be on alert and always have my guard up and always be super hyper aware of the nuances of society. Um, it's almost because I'm, my autism makes me so aware that things become more complex because there's more to take into account. So it's, it's very interesting that something positive such as awareness can actually make uh, life difficult, more difficult at times. Are there specific things that you do for yourself um, as kind of an antidote to that exhaustion from masking or, um, you know, the overwhelm that you might get from the various parts of your life, your work or society? I think overall, I have to keep a, a pretty, I have to live a very strict life in order to keep uh, the wheels uh, lubricated, so to speak. I think, you know, I always have to make sure I'm getting exercise. I always eat well, get good sleep. I think those will always set me up for a potential to at least have a very decent day. But then when, you know, things, uh, there are very certain variables that pop up in certain days that make me crash, or it, if it is due to burnout or exhaustion from masking, you know, there it's again about self-compassion, self-kindness. I used to beat myself up a lot, uh, frustrated that I couldn't function like others. So eliminating the comparisons of, me versus the majority of the population really helped me a lot. And just, again, grounding myself, you know, walking in nature, you know, spending time outdoors with living things that accept you for all you are and don't judge you and, and do validate you and pay attention to you, but in only positive ways, you know, unless you're getting attacked by a bear or something. Um, I, I think, you know, it's all about self-compassion and, uh, you know, to wind down, um, that's tough. You know, it's, it's tough to wind down. I, I don't really know what it is to like to have leisurely activities, uh, but I do enjoy my naps. Uh, I like to read. And I think, you know, if I can just uh, keep that again, those, those three pillars of exercise, sleep, food, 
I'm, I'm pretty good to go. Uh, but then again, you know, the safety net is just when, when things don't go as expected, uh, to not ruminate and cut out the noise, don't compare and just realize that Russell, like over the course of your life, you've come so far, man. So if you fall flat on your face now, it just means that you're falling forward. yourself a buddhist i i call myself a syncretist i uh i i read a lot about all different world religions and i kind of Mm -hmm. put them into my own religion if anything i would say the closest religion that aligns with me is taoism i really love taoism the water course way um you know everything like it's basically a very philosophical and spiritual at the same time as you were talking about all of the things that you're calculating in any given social situation, mm. you know, are you, are you constantly, cause I've heard you talk about rumination before, and I'm just wondering, you know, is it, I've heard people talk about how, you know, when they're thinking, they're constantly thinking in words, there's like these sentences yeah. that are just going through their mind this way and that way. Um, but I've also heard a lot of autistic people, um, you know, like Temple, Temple Grandin say that she thinks more visually, like thinks in pictures. Um, and I was just wondering what your experience was. Yeah, I, uh, and again, I did not, the last nine months, again, first time I've been fully independent, total journey of self-discovery. I've heard of the Temple Grandin book, Thinking in Pictures, for 20 years, not until did I became fully independent, did I realize I thought in, in, in pictures. And that is a functioning mechanism that I believe I've developed that is almost like a, akin to a Jenga tower. It, 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 you know, it gets the job done, but you pull one block out and the whole thing can collapse. And by that, I mean, any scenario that's about to happen, whether it's five seconds from now or five years from now, I develop a picture. I literally paint this picture in my head. And even though I know it's not going to go according to that, what that picture looks like, if the, and this is why for me, and maybe for others, again, I can only speak from my experience. This is why unexpected changes are so difficult to process is, you know, say I'm supposed to meet my friend at his house. Um, So I'm picturing the meeting going on. Like I'm hanging out with my friend at his house and then say he has to, uh, you know, go to Walmart when I get there, like I can come with them. Well, now that shocks my system because I have to tear down that picture of hanging at him, hanging with him at his house and build a new picture at the same time, deconstructing in the other one of going to Walmart with him. And that takes energy because I have to build that up in order to process the situation. And I never realized that until I became fully independent. And that's why the littlest thing sometimes, whether it's, you know, somebody saying they're going to buy me some bananas at the store and that not happening. And I, I freak out because Now, it's not because I am having a fit about not having bananas. It's about the exhaustion of taking that picture down with the bananas in it and creating one without the bananas, because you can't just fix one part of the picture. You have to tear the whole thing down and create a new one. And I've never realized how, again, how much energy that takes on an unconscious level um, just to be able to think. And so that's another thing that's really uh, enlightened me with, with this uh, journey of independence is how I think and how I operate and how I can maybe, you know, make that Jenga tower a little bit firmer. Your language is so descriptive. I just absolutely love it. And it's yeah. <laughs> a life as a poet was, uh, was a well-chosen Thank you. I appreciate it for you. Um, and you are a successful speaker and you are a successful poet and you've published two books. Uh, 
and you weren't given many professional supports throughout life. How did you get to where you are today? Um, I think it, it goes back to, it's funny too, because I was thinking about this. Someone asked me the same thing uh, earlier today. I, I think it goes back to my ideals for what kind of life I want, what kind of life I desire and what kind of world I want to be part of. I think, again, I'm a very, I, I'm, I'm a very hopeful, optimistic guy. I'm very realistic. Uh, at the same time, I have ex an extreme abundance of hope for not only my own life, but for the human population. And I think it has always been that pursuit of what I desire this world to encompass that has been the igniter of that inner fire. Um, I'm very tenacious. I'm very driven. Uh, my OCD, you know, I've learned to manipulate my OCD as much as it's a pain in my ass and as much as it is to the detriment uh, of my well-being at times. I've learned to manipulate it to have that tenacity and ambition and drive. And I think it's always that, you know, you know, I'm very, I very much have the underdog mentality. You know, I always say the comeback is stronger than the setback, right? If I get set back, I, I look at it as a challenge. It's game time now. I'm going to put, put, you know, my, my jersey on and go play this game because it, this isn't practice anymore. And I'm very serious about my life. I'm very serious in the fact that I, I take my struggle seriously. I take uh, the battle seriously because it's no joke for me. It's, I've been through enough pain to make me realize that this life is something precious. And if I can battle, um, you know, as hard as I can, if I go down fighting, you know, that at least I was fighting and I don't want to go down just, you know, sinking with the ship. I want to go down with the fight. And I, you know, I always will fight because again, I'm very idealistic and I want people to see what's possible when they can, uh, again, kind of, uh, just be the change I wish to see in this world as the saying goes. I'm wondering where that, where that will to continue and continue on and to press on and to get through those challenges. Is that related to your passions for, Poetry, um, where, where does that come from? I think uh, it comes from the extent of my suffering. I think if I had suffered a little less, I think I would have maybe become complacent with it. I would have been like, okay, this is my life. That's, this is unfortunate and this life uh, might suck, but it's my life. But I, I struggled so much when I was little and to this day, you know, my meltdown two days ago was just very traumatic. And so I've been, I've come into many encounters with the deepest, darkest dis, uh, hours of despair. And I think because of that, it's almost as if, you know, they talk about living life to the fullest, right? Let's live life to the fullest. And that's usually used with a positive connotation, like let's live it up. It was almost a opposite for me. I lived it up by being in despair. I experienced the other end of the human spectrum, the suffering. That's how I lived up my life. And that's oddly how during my isolation, I felt most alive. I became, I think, identif I identified with my pain to anchor myself uh, to get through the isolation because I didn't have any external validation. I felt like I was worthless and, and nobody, you know, wanted me to be part of the world because I wasn't part of the world. So I think I I almost combined my will with the pain. And in doing so, I think that's where almost like I'm very philosophical and uh, Hegel, the German philosopher Hegel, he, he has this uh, 
what is it called? Um, the dialectic method. There's the antithesis, and then there's the thesis, and you put those together and they become the synthesis. So my pain and my will come together and they create what I do now, my purpose. Um, that's how I started writing poetry is I put my suffering on paper and to be able to be, be able to create a piece of art out of something that I disliked so much made me in turn like what I was struggling with. And again, like kind of the Buddhist methodology of becoming friends with your mental enemies, right? I think that's how I've been able to get by for so long and, and scrape by is because I know everything I struggle with is a part of me. And if I can love every aspect of me, um, again, they, they can come along for the ride. They used to be in the driver's seat, but I'm in the driver's seat now and they can come along for the ride, but they're not going to tell me where to go. That's wonderful. That's just so inspiring. Thank you. I'd love to hear your perspective on supports. So this is a big topic, but kind of, you know, what's out there for people for whom autism is an individual, an invisible disability? Mm -hmm what can parents do um, and also sort of what can allies do out in the real world when they are at an airport and see someone melting down? I think it's just the, for me, the basic, basic, most basic and probably most important thing you can do is validation. Um, whether the individual has autism or whether, whether the individual is just a, you know, a typical human, we all need to be validated. And especially so though, when we're struggling, because as we all know, when we struggle and we suffer, we most likely feel like we're alone in that moment. And if we can be seen and heard in that moment, it helps get our head out. It helps get us out of our head and it attaches us to our environment. When somebody, smiles at me when I'm having a meltdown in an airport or at least makes eye contact or a subtle head nod just to say, Hey, I see you. I have to catch a flight. I'm, I can't stay with you, but at least I, uh, that head nod lets me know they see me in pain and I can hold on to that. And I think that's very important. You know, this last meltdown I had in an airport, it was one of the most disheartening experiences of my life. It was, I had a really big meltdown and there were 10 airline employees standing around purposely not looking at me. And I was, pleading for help. I was pleading. I was crying, saying, I have a disability. I have autism. Please, someone help me. And they're all just typing away on their computer. And, you know, if that doesn't make you bitter towards the outside world, I mean, what will, right? And I think a lot of individuals, especially teenagers, you know, with autism, they encounter that on a daily basis, whether it's from their peers or their parents or their principals who just say, I can help you. I can help you. No, well, no, let us ask, ask how you can help. Don't, don't just offer help because that can be detrimental. You know, don't tell me you can help me. You don't even know who I am. Right. And so if we can just enter the individual's world, I mean, I have to enter this world every single day, half the time, I don't even want to do it. So if somebody can just, again, the simple things, uh, validate, uh, be sincere, ask me how you can help. How can I help? The probably the most ma magical four words I could hear in the time of distress is how can I help? Because I often say, well, you just did just by asking that question, because that let me know, lets me know you care. You validated me. You validated my struggle with that question. And I also know that if I can think of something, I can come back to you because I know you're going to be there to help me. And I think it's just really the simple things as a modern day society that we often overthink and, and overlook because they are so such simple tenets of just being a decent human. And that extends to parents too, right? I think there, 
you, you've spoken a lot about what a fantastic support your mom has been mm -hmm. in your life. And I was wondering if you could give us, I don't know, one or two specifics about ways she supported you um, that maybe weren't the most obvious thing for a parent to do, um, but but she somehow found the way, uh, found the right way to get through to you or to connect to you. Yeah, I think, uh, I think number one is taking me for all that I am. You know, I, I, there are just so many memories, uh, throughout almost each year of my life of, you know, basically waiting for my mom to get home from work just so I could dissolve into a pool of tears in her arms. And, to be able to have that comfort, have that, that safety net. And again, uh, almost feel like, you know, I'm uh, this, some sort of like clam that's out of a shell and like, just very vulnerable to have my mom come in and just, again, be that safety net saved me so many times. And it still saves me to this day. You know, she's a phone call away. I think again, just, she is the epitome of what acceptance is. A lot of parents, are more proactive and that's that can be a detriment you know there there's a lot of parents out there who will see their child struggle and they will instantly think how can i help what what can i do well you don't have to do anything you just have to be there like literally be there the latin root word of uh passion is patty which means to suffer compassion therefore means to suffer with and that's literally what compassion is it's very simple you just sit there you know, sit there next to me when I'm having a meltdown, give me your shoulder to cry on. Uh, let me just sob into the phone and you don't have to say a damn word for an hour. Uh, I think that's the greatest gift my mom gave me and something that um, is just natural talent of hers, just being a very, again, sincere listener, not giving me suggestions, giving me suggestions when I am open to them. But oftentimes when I'm in distress, I'm not looking for suggestions. I'm looking for a place to feel safe in my moment of despair. And my mom gave me that safe place. The other thing I would think in hindsight, something that I didn't recognize in the moment, but in hindsight for sure benefited me is she always kept me informed on uh, choosing my path in life, whether that be seeking a diagnosis, whether that be asking if I wanted to continue this miserable experience at school, always asking me what I wanted and what I envisioned for myself. And I find, again, a lot of good intentioned parents out there that try to create a life for their kids uh, without asking the kids what kind of life they want. And it doesn't matter if the kid is verbal or not, like they still, it's still up to them to choose, right? We're all humans, whether regardless of our communication capabilities. And I think my mom, again, always giving me the opportunity to be empowered to make that choice, right? Sometimes I will defer and say, I don't know, you figure it out, mom. Like, I'm, I'm struggling, I can't. But at least she always gave me the opportunity. And that, I think, gave me the confidence necessary to be able to finally be fully independent because I was used to making decisions. Um, if she had always made decisions for me, who knows if I, how much longer, if ever, I would have it would have taken me to be independent because I probably wouldn't have been that accustomed to making certain life choices very frequently. That's so powerful that compassion means to suffer with. Yeah. And it also strikes me that um, we talk a lot in ABA about self-determination, a lot in human services about self-determination. And it really sounds like your mother knew how to cultivate that and how to nurture that in you by giving you you know, how, knowing how to give you power, knowing how to give you control and mm -hmm. not making you feel like 
you know, you had to rely on her. You were able to, you were able to rely on her whenever you needed her, but it sounds like she didn't make you feel that you were dependent on her or couldn't do it without her. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, uh, again, you know, that's, she's very practical woman and, you know, that's very, you know, people have their own lives. So why not make those individuals and, charge of their own life is very you know it makes sense on face value too often though we get caught up in the emotions and mm-hmm. in our thoughts but yeah I think she again always supported me she always was there to support and then when needed she would help but too often again we try to help when we don't know how to when we really should just be passively supporting because we're cutting off you know some some good uh trials uh, so to speak for these individuals to kind of have a test run because we're trying to always intervene and help them without giving them the opportunity to try to help themselves first by passively supporting them. If that doesn't work, then you can go into actionable, helpful, active practices. Love to hear your advice for folks who may be in similar situation that you're in, it sounds like you've found, you know, some solace in meditation, in poetry, in Buddhism. Um, Tell us what you would say to, or maybe, maybe folks do come to you uh, for advice in how they can sort of care for themselves and, um, and live a more fulfilling life. What are you or what is, what's the Russell Lehman special sauce? Oh, gosh. Um, I think there's a, a lot of special sauces that I kind of mix together. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I found a lot of solace throughout my life through uh, seeking information. And whether that's reading a book or observing the outside world from an inside perspective of being on the outside looking in, um, I, I, I think what is really been the chief impetus behind my my drive to always you know seek out another day another decent day is following my heart um i was i i say life took from me everything i ever wanted but in turn gave me everything i ever needed and by that i mean during my painful years of isolation as much as i wanted to be around my peers I also wasn't conditioned by peer pressure. You know, I, I was allowed to do what my heart desired, you know, and at the right time, I, my heart came upon poetry. And I like to say, you know, pain leads to finding your passion, passion leads to finding your purpose. And through your purpose, you progress the four P's. And I think following my heart, you know, you can never go wrong. If it's one thing I don't want to regret on my deathbed is that I didn't take that chance to follow my heart that's all life ever is. It's one giant opportunity to follow our heart. And too often we get, uh, we go on detours because of peer pressure or we second guess ourselves and backtrack when, you know, we know what we want deep down. We just have to clear out the noise. And thankfully, again, due to my isolation, I didn't have a lot of noise. So I could tune into my heart and my gut instinct. And that, again, that, that human spirit component that is so vital to getting through the difficult times because nothing is much more powerful than the human spirit. I think all of that, just I was able to cultivate this, this garden inside of me that, you know, has, uh, you know, I was able to tender my garden. You know, I had the time. I had the time to put the work in. Life is one big test. And I took the time to study for it through my isolation. So I think, 
you know, just following my passions, following my heart and, and always seeking information, always being curious uh, because I know I don't know what life is. All I know is what my life is. Maybe I'll never even really know that. So I'm sure as hell won't know what life is like for anybody else. So I always am aware that I can't generalize my life on anybody else and to always keep an open mind and just meet people where they're at. Again, like you tell me, you tell me about your world because I only know my world. So if we talk more openly about that, I think a lot more people will uh, be liberated in a sense to to follow their heart because that's all we all ever want. It is just unfortunately very difficult to do when part of society. Love that so much. One of the things I heard you say in a video one time was those who know how to suffer, suffer less. Mm -hmm. How do we suffer? Like what? I think it's just, tell me, tell me more. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the familiarity aspect of it. Uh, Discomfort. I believe is uh, needed in order to achieve any kind of growth. So whether you're talking about a tree as a seed, a young sapling, it has to go through that discomfort of bursting through the the rigid earth, right? Um, The big bang, the universe was created through a huge explosion, struggle, strife, suffering. And so those who know how to suffer, suffer less. I feel that, you know, the more you familiar you become with the darkness, it, it, the more familiar uh, you, you can, the more able you are to get around. I, I liken it to getting up in the middle of the night when you need to go to the bathroom and it's dark and you can't see anything. But then after like five steps, you can kind of see a little bit more. Your eyes adjust. So when we're in dark times, we just have to sink into it. And instead of turning our back on them, stare back at them and, and we'll adjust. We were very adaptable creatures, but we don't give ourselves the opportunity to adapt because too often we want to distract ourselves from very painful, emotionally painful moments. And when we do that, we're missing a huge opportunity to see what we're truly capable of. Because I say in the darkest times, you don't go looking for the light. You realize you are the light, but you just have to sink into it. And as much as we enjoy the feeling of happiness, you know, sink into despair just as much as you do happiness, because not one or the other is better than the other. You know, there it's, it's all about the fluidity of life and it's all, uh, everything's in flux. And if we can realize that happiness and despair are just two sides of the same coin, you know, we won't get, we won't get too downtrodden when we experience the inevitable suffering this life has to offer. Well, I absolutely cannot wait to read your books Thank you. and I'm sorry to sort of spring this on you without having asked you in the pre-interview, but there, is there any way that we could finish our time together with a spoken word poem? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me see and you can one. take your time. We can, okay. we can, we can cut it in. Okay. You know, well, if you want to like look around for it or. No, I'm just trying to think of, uh, they're all in my head. I'm just trying to think of which one, how many minutes do we have? Cause I have like a three and a half. I have probably a four minute one, then a minute and a half. And then I have like a 30 second one. Whatever you, whatever feels like it's right for this moment. Okay. Let's see. Okay, I'll do the long one because I think that will just kind of encompass everything we've talked about. It's uh, it's titled Dear Russell. It's probably my most popular one. You might have heard it before, but it's titled Dear Russell. And it's a letter to my younger self written from obviously an adult perspective. Dear Russell, you're going to go through some things in your life. You're going to go through some real tough things in your life. I know you're just a young boy now, but I want to speak up and warn you of what's about to go down pretty soon. You're going to lose all of your friends. Pretty soon, you're going to see life through a different lens. This probably doesn't even make sense, but pretty soon you're going to go insane. 
and wish you were dead. I know you're pretty popular now, but pretty soon you're gonna be laughed at by other kids who won't know how. You became such a pathetic wimp who's too scared to leave his house, who's too scared to be in a crowd, who thought a whisper was so loud. But listen, you'll never be a wimp. You'll never be weak. You'll grow up to be stronger than a million ancient gods of Greece. Now there are gonna be nights when you just stay up and cry. There are gonna be nights when you contemplate suicide. There are going to be nights where you just wanna die, but you will have too much pride to give up on your life. You're going to be admitted to the psych ward three times where you'll see naked people trying to find walls to climb. You're gonna be rushed to the ER way too much, but these experiences are the reason you're gonna grow up to be so tough. You're gonna have your dreams come crashing down just because some pathetic adult didn't want you around. And you're gonna have your heart break as if we're made of glass and have no friends to fall back on when the love of your life packs up her bags. You're gonna wish you were normal just like everybody else. But I need you to remember that you have a very bright future, even though you're gonna go through hell. Russell, I need you to be prepared for all the obstacles you're gonna face. And at times you're gonna feel like you're trapped in a maze. And at times you're gonna feel like you've been so debased. And at times you're gonna go into a craze and curse at the gods for why they made you this way. But Russell, I need you to listen to me. You might not be that different now, but you will be. Your life is going to seem like an utter disaster at times, but within you is the strength you need to succeed at being the best possible human being you can be. So keep your chin up, keep your eyes on the prize, because you'll far surpass everyone's expectations of what we can accomplish in our lives, but it won't be your or my surprise. Thank you. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh, Poetry is definitely... Um, Again, I, I don't think art would, uh, I think art would cease to exist if it wasn't for suffering. I think uh, art is an expression of something that we oftentimes can't put into words. And whether I put it into uh, poetry, it's, it's an emotional outlet. And even though it's in the form of words, there is that emotional attachment to it. And I think that's why the arts are, uh, again, very, very beneficial for those who struggle, whether it's autism, mental health, or just any kind of difficulty life presents us. The arts are almost, uh, almost transcend our suffering and into life in and of itself. And I think that's a beautiful thing that I really don't take for granted when it comes to writing poetry. Absolutely speechless. Thank you. It has been an absolute honor to chat with you and I'm really looking forward to our next talk and I'm so glad that we talked about doing a series because I think you have a lot of wisdom to offer. Thank you Catherine I appreciate it and yeah it's been a it's been wonderful connecting and I look forward to the next time as well. What struck me about this conversation is that for so long, there's been this narrative of autism as a tragedy. And more recently, there has been an alternative perspective being widely shared, illuminating the beauty of being autistic. And what I appreciate about Russell's poetry and perspective is that he's really championing an honest look at the full experience, what one can accomplish and appreciate and share while having autism, but also the real struggles and challenges that don't go away just because you love and accept yourself. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and I hope you'll join us for our next one. You can listen to our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. We always appreciate your reviews and ratings if you're so inclined. If you have show ideas or a question for us, email us at allautismtalk at learnbehavioral.com. 
or find us on Instagram or Facebook at, at Autism Therapies. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.